Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies. I'm still on vacation, and it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I don't know because I'm recording this ahead of time. So I assume my vacation is full of writing and dog walks and scotch, but I can't say for sure. It may also be full of zombie monsters from the forest, flesh-eating disease, and a massive massive case of diarrhea. I don't, I, I can't say, but I hope I'm having a good time. Obviously I'm recording this ahead of time. So I have no updates this week, but a reminder that if you ordered anything from scottsigler.com slash store recently, we are not shipping until June 7th, 2021 at the earliest, but we will ship those, those girthy books, those sticky magnets, those sticky stickers and the few t-shirts we still have in stock. And I would point out that the stickers are sticky because of the stuff on the back of the sticker, not for any other reason, get your mind out of the gutter. So shop away. Since I recorded this early, I have no idea where I am in the second draft of GFL Book 7. But we have finished the final punch-ins for the audiobook of The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella that is 144,000 words. So it's a 500-page novella. It's very weird. I'm not good with, no, I'm good with the words, but clearly not good with the numbers. Steve the Iceberg, Ricky Berg, is hard at work finishing off that audiobook so we can upload it to Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. Uh, since we're done with the punch-ins, we're done with the book. It is also being formatted for ebook, and the ebook and the audiobook will be out at the same time, which is soon, but we don't know when the Stone Wolves will be available. It is uh, it is the first novella that I'm declaring a mandatory read. So you're going to have GFL book one, two, so it goes the rookie, the starter, the all pro, the MVP, the champion, the Stone Wolves, the gangster, and then GFL book seven. So that is where it is all at. I am telling my future self to go back to having another scotch and maybe another dog walk and hopefully avoid the massive case of, of dysentery because with zombies come dysentery. I don't know if you knew that. It's a little known fact that all of the major zombie TV shows and movies, there's a whole dysentery subplot going on, but they don't show it to you because of, uh, of ratings. It's just really weird. So let's get you caught up on the story. Then we're all going to go fluff up a nice goose down pillow. With the crew of the Olerin backing his play, Quentin seeks to end the threat of Greedock the Splithead for good. But before he can implement his plan, Quentin must get help from a very unlikely source. Inside Contact Killian had led Quentin from the Olerin back into the borehole, and back into a cell. A cell with an open door. Quentin wasn't chained, he wasn't restrained, and he wasn't a prisoner, yet still he couldn't stop shaking. How long did he have to wait here? He felt weak. He felt small. He remembered how he'd begged, how he'd pleaded for it all to stop. This cell hadn't been his, but that didn't matter. 
because it was so much like his had been. Uneven stone floor, rough-hewn stone walls. The smell of the rock had him twitching, waiting for the shocks that had to be coming at any moment. He knew it was all in his head, he wasn't even connected to anything, but the pangs of torture past refused to let him go. Chalita Sacacorn, the doctor who was Killian's inside contact, had been put in a cell on this block. Killian had gone to fetch her. The borehole's layout reminded Quentin of Quith orbital stations. A wide shaft led into the asteroid, ending in a hollowed-out chamber that allowed access to the internal structure. The shaft doubled as a landing field. The Olerans seemed to cling to the shaft's curved side, along with a utility shuttle, a handful of small fighter craft, and the ship that had brought Quentin to this awful place. A twinge of ghost pain shot through him, from ear to shoulder. He winced, his head twitching involuntarily to the side. He shouldn't have come here. He should have just had Sacacorn brought to the Oleran. He had to get out of this room. He had to get out. He had to get out. Quentin sucked in a sharp breath. He made fists, ground them into his temples so hard it seemed like he could feel knuckles pressing into gray matter. The prison staff is locked up, he muttered. They're all locked up. They can't put me on the X. Calm down. Just calm down. His heart kicked like a machine gun. He tried to take a slow breath, couldn't draw a breath at all. The room, it was getting smaller. The shackles dug into his arms, his legs. You're not wearing shackles. It's all in your head. He smelled his own sweat. The real shocks were coming, any second now. They would rip through him, and he would try to hold on, but he already knew he would beg and plead to be set free. Quentin. His father's voice. Quentin opened his eyes. In the open cell doorway stood Killian and a woman Quentin recognized, the doctor who had examined him in his cell. This is Chalita Sacacorn, Killian said. The same short, gray hair, same wrinkled eyes, same gray tech uniform, but she was taller than Quentin had thought, only a few inches shorter than Killian. She stared at Quentin, shook her head. Whatever you all have planned, he better not be an active part of it, she said. He's a wreck. I'm fine, Quentin snapped. No thanks to you and the other sadists in this place. Sacacorn's eyes widened. She took a step back. Take it easy, Killian said to Quentin. Just relax. Quentin blinked, shook his head. He realized his hands were still fists, that his face was twisted into a snarl. He forced himself to calm down. Sorry, he said. But he wasn't. Maybe she'd helped with his rescue, but she was part of the borehole staff. She was just as complicit in Quentin's torture as the guards who had chained him to the metal X, as the bats who had flipped the switch. I get you're angry, Sacacorn said. But that doesn't change the fact that someone needs to pay me or no one gets out of here. And yeah, I know if you don't get out of here, we all go down together, so spare me any shucking lecture. I got away with the first escape. I know they won't bust me for this one for a while, but eventually, they will. So eventually, I need to vanish. For that, I need vanishing money. In other words, I don't get paid. They will find me no matter what I do. I'll wind up in a cell myself. You need to pay me, Barnes. Your older lookalike spent the money I was owed, so you need to cover his debt and yours. Quentin glanced at his father. You had it and you spent it? We needed repairs, Killian said. Like I told you, it's a long story. Tell her what your plan is. Let's get this over with. Someday, hopefully, Quentin could hear that story, but this wasn't the time. 
the smell of this cell, the walls, so close. He needed to finish this and get out of there. The bats must have questioned all the staff after Yitzhak escaped, Quentin said, forcing the words out through a mouth that wanted to scream, not talk. You didn't crack? Sackacorn nodded. Question is an understatement. They interrogated everyone, including me. My session lasted five hours. I handled it. I'm a good liar. I don't doubt it. Quentin pushed his boiling, illogical panic down to a manageable level. He stepped closer to Sackacorn, to this woman who had been a part of his agony. They question you. Did they torture you? She stared back at him, a new look on her face. No, they didn't torture me. Spare me the life lesson. Get me my million credits and we'll go our separate ways. Maybe she'd get caught. If so, maybe they would torture her. That wouldn't bother Quentin in the least. One million isn't much vanishing money, he said. So I have an offer for you. If you're a good liar, how would you like to make three million? Sackacorn controlled her reaction, but not before Quentin saw right through that effort. The woman was going to wind up on the run sooner or later, and she needed every credit she could get. I'm listening, she said. The promise of riches had a powerful pull. This woman had already risked her future and her safety. How much further would she go? Quentin was flying blind. He was making a big assumption. He knew that Richfield would do anything for him, but how much money did she have? Millions, she'd said. Hopefully, she had enough. Three million to cover your risk for both escapes, Quentin said, and to deliver a message to a gangster on Ionath. Delivering was only half of what he needed done, but he wanted to let the significance of that much money grow in her mind. Money was like that. The longer you thought about it, the more attractive it became. Three million isn't enough, she said. Not for something like that. Ah, she wanted to negotiate. She was willing to take the huge risk, but only if the price was right. You can get more, Quentin said, if you can make a deal with the gangster in question. The information you will deliver, he will want that very badly. It's a safe bet to say he'll cough up another half million, at least. He could see the want in her eyes. He could also see the hubris. For some reason, she already assumed she could get more. Dr. Chalita Sackacorn thought she was special. Better at everything. This gangster's name? Greedock the Splithead, Quentin said. Sackacorn shrugged. Never heard of him. That was both good and bad. Good because she wasn't scared off by Greedock's reputation. Bad because she needed to be scared, at least a little, so her arrogance wouldn't cause problems. Wait, she said. Greedock, Greedock, was he the sentient who negotiated the peace deal with the Prowet? Quentin nodded. Why not go along with it? I need my first million before I talk to anyone, Sackacorn said. How are you going to manage that? If you're ready to run, can I assume that you have an account somewhere that is not in your name? Sackacorn hesitated, as if revealing that information might cost her, but she had few options left. I do, she said. Then this will be easy, Quentin said. I have a friend on Ionath that will set up two anonymous transfers to you. The first transfer will be immediate, for a half million. That's the down payment. If you want to vanish with that much and not complete the deal, go crazy. Sackacorn shook her head. No, I want a full million as the down payment. 
Not gonna happen, Quentin said. I'll still be here, at the borehole, and I need to know you're motivated enough to finish the job. She stared at him. Quentin studied her, watched her eyes. He saw a vein in her neck. He watched it in his peripheral vision, quietly measuring her pulse. Even though she was up against it, she gave zero indication of stress. Was she good enough to fool Greedock? With the message she would be delivering, maybe she was. A half mil up front. She seemed to try the words on for size. How do I know you're good for the rest? You don't, Quentin said. You'll have to take that chance, just like I'm taking a chance that you won't bail with the half mil. Remember that I'm staying here. She frowned. Which I can't count on if I release the missile lock, which I need to do to go see your friend on Ionath and deliver your message. I have a better idea, which I'll get to in a moment. First, though, let's say I deliver this message to Greedock. Then I just come back here and I get the rest of my money. Forgive me if that sounds too easy. What's the catch? Time to drop the other shoe. If she didn't go for this, Quentin didn't know what he'd do next. The catch is that you have to bring Greedock back with you. Her eyes widened. Here? To the borehole? Quentin nodded. That's right. Why would he do that? To see me, Quentin said. Your position at the prison will be the validity he needs to buy in. I know him. He'll insist on bringing his yacht back, and you'll have to be on it with him. Sackacorn laughed, shook her head. Oh, all right, sounds like an easy thing to do, she said. And what, exactly, do you plan to do with him when he gets here? Not your concern. She absently rubbed at her jaw. Let's say I can bring him back here, she said. Then you put a bullet in my head and don't have to pay the rest of the money? No thanks. Killian took a step closer. When I was last here, I didn't kill anyone, he said, including you. I could have, and you know it. I know you didn't get paid. I know I don't have the money you're owed, but Quentin does. This is your last shot at a big payday, doctor. To get it, you're going to have to roll the bones and trust him. If you don't, then you'll wind up on the run with no money at all. Quentin wasn't happy Killian had stepped into the negotiation, but his words seemed to resonate with Sackacorn. She nodded, almost imperceptibly. Yes, you could have killed me. She looked at Quentin. And if Greedock sees through this ruse? I thought you were a good liar, he said. I am an exceptional liar. What happens if Greedock sees through my story? No point in beating around the bush. If he sees through it, you probably die. And he's among the best in the galaxy at knowing when a human is lying to him. Sackagorn smiled. I was interrogated by the bats and their League of Planets cronies, she said. If their intimidation and lie detection gear didn't out me, your peace deal-making gangster acquaintance won't either. So much arrogance in that smile. Enough to make her overconfident. Enough for her to not take Greedock seriously. But then again, Sackacorn believed in herself, and the key to being a great liar was to believe the lie you were telling, at least while you were telling it. Hopefully, she could pull it off, because she wasn't the only one with few options left. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, 
It's vital for Piura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. A half million when I get to Ionath, before I see Greedock, Sackacorn said. Then 2.5 mil when I bring Greedock back here. Is that right? Quentin nodded. As soon as I'm out of the quiescence, yes. I'll have my friend set up the transfer with authorization by me. Agreed? Agreed, Sackacorn said. And the deal I make with Greedock, what's your cut of that? No cut. Anything you get from him, you keep. She stared, considering the risks, considering a payoff significantly larger than the one she'd initially asked for. Then we might be in business, she said. But I'm not removing the missile lock. Killian took another step forward. Quentin held up a hand toward him. Let her finish, Quentin said. If she's not removing the missile lock, she must have something else in mind. Killian took a step back. You're quite perceptive, Sackacorn said to Quentin. I do have something else in mind, something that will cost you a bit more, but the money isn't for me. The Carcelero is the ship that brought you here from the Hammerwind. It's unmarked and nondescript, looks like a typical private vessel. It has a special Imperial military clearance beacon. Kretorakian ships, system police, you name it, they ignore the Carcelero. In all Imperial-controlled territory, its flight routes are never tracked or recorded. The bats don't like having multiple ships come here, so for most prisoner pickups and most resupply, the Carcelero makes those runs. Killian nodded, even half-smiled. He already liked the idea. If that ship travels to and from here on a normal basis, it's the way to go. Killian said, especially if it has clearance she says it has. Just because I got my ship here twice undetected doesn't mean I'll be as fortunate a third time. Quentin read between the lines, saw the real reason for Killian's approval. Less risk to Beans, Aya, and Zan. It really was a better plan. I'll go with her, Killian said. Sackacorn laughed again. No, you won't. Your big ass and your ship will stay right here until I get back. You might not make it back, Killian said. If you don't, my ship is stuck here. Sackacorn smiled, shrugged. 
Your ship isn't going anywhere unless I let it go. So I guess you'll have to, uh, what was that phrase again? Oh, yes. You'll have to roll the bones and trust me. Killian sneered slightly. He didn't like having his own words used against him. Quentin had to admit that this option left most of the power in Sakakorn's hands, but what choice did he have? He was asking a lot of her, yet she was showing her strength. The way she handled this negotiation gave Quentin no small amount of hope that she could convince Greedock. If her taking the Carcelero meant less risk to Killian, Aya, Beans, and Zan, then that was a good thing. All right, Quentin said. We do it your way. But he won't come here in that ship either. He'll take one of his own, probably the little ruler, his yacht. And you'll still have to be on it or he won't come. That should still work, Sackacorn said. If his yacht follows close behind the Carcelero, the Carcelero's beacon will make sure neither ship is detained. I need the Carcelero's two sentient crew to pilot it, which is why it will cost you more. They're locked up, just like everyone else. Tiger Stripe and Angel Wings. They were in a cell. Quentin found some small satisfaction at that. How much? Quentin asked. A quarter mil each, Sackacorn said. That ought to do it. Can your money friend on Ionath cover that as well? Quentin hoped Richfield could. Of course, he said. Can we trust them not to talk? They'll keep their mouths shut, Sackacorn said. They know if word of this gets out, they'll be the ones on the X. As you've seen for yourself, Barnes, that's pretty solid motivation. She was right about that. 3.5 million to possibly lure Greedock here. He would figure out how to pay Richfield and the COQB back. Every credit of it. But if this plan worked, it was worth all the money he had to his name. You'll have to carry a message to my friend, Quentin said. When you do, she will give you something to bring back to me. You'll be with Greedock when you first get back, so we'll get that item from the Carcelero crew. You or the two crew members even look at what's in the package, and the deal is off. Acceptable? Sackacorn nodded. Acceptable. Tiger Stripe or Angel Wings could get the Gibble Juants from Richfield. Quentin could tell them exactly what to say. It could work. Then ask the Carcelero crew, Quentin said. I want you on your way immediately. Book Six, Self-Defense The Bridge The bridge didn't have sliding doors. A heavy, oval hatch provided access, making the freighter seem more like a military vessel. Inside the bridge, however, no one would mistake the vessel for a warship. The round room was just like the rest of the Oleron, very old and heavily modified from its original design. A large holo tank sat in the center of the room, roughly bolted down like so many other additions inside the ship. Missing service panels, some with curls of exposed wiring dangling out. Empty flat panel brackets lined the wall near the ceiling. One bracket had been filled with old stuffed animals, a strange menagerie of colors and googly eyes staring out. One old flat panel was still in place, but it was covered with printed photos of the crew, one or two at a time, laughing, hugging each other, wearing funny hats, goofing off in general. You control the ship from here, Quentin said. Seriously? His father sat in a captain's chair in the center of the bridge. Duct tape on the chair, tiny bits of foam trying to slip free from the covered tears. Some of the tape strips were blue or red, but most were silver. 
A drink holder was bolted onto the chair's left side, the neck of a clear beer bottle jutting up. A beer holder. On a bridge. Maybe Killian's drinking wasn't all that casual. Maybe the man had a problem. Killian waved his hands over the duct-taped armrests. Holo displays blinked on in front of him. A scratched floor-to-ceiling crystal window let Quentin look out into the borehole's landing shaft and the strange fighter craft still locked in their mooring grips. The fighters were of hurrah design, a sphere roughly 10 meters in diameter, bristling with armaments and maneuvering thrusters, the main drive sticking out. The ships looked like black medieval maces with stubby handles. The rest of the crew filtered into the bridge, taking what Quentin assumed were their regular stations. He recognized the general configuration of a navigation console, with what looked like tactical controls added on. Schmeck Zan stood there. The engineering section, where Beans curled up like a 40-pound cat, was a hodgepodge of thrown-together equipment, most of which Quentin didn't recognize. Aya controlled the ship's communications, but Quentin had never seen the like of her station. Smooth surfaces covered in what looked like snakeskin. Was that key, Tech? This bridge is a mess, Quentin said. It looks like someone put the parts of five wrecked ships in a box and shook it until they all sort of fit together. Killian turned his chair away from the bridge window so he could face his crew. If you don't like the accommodations, feel free to get out and walk. Beans, what's the status on Sakakorn's missile launcher? Deactivate it, the fuzzy Sklorno said. I had to create a signal jam that lasted long enough for me to get Peaches in there and disengage the homing system. Oh, Zan, sorry. Peaches is no more. Quentin glanced at Aya. Peaches, he said. Is that more slang I don't get? Aya rolled her eyes. These people were insane, all four of them. Perhaps you could have asked me first, Schmexan said. Common courtesy would dictate as much, would it not? Sorry, Bean said. But it's good. Missile battery is out of commission. Aya and I tree-tagged it. Tag-teamed it, Aya said. Beans' fur fluffed. Why would we put a tag on a team? The amethyst-skinned girl rolled her eyes. She was as good at that as Killian was at shrugging. Perhaps all four of the insane crew members had some special way of being annoying. Beans, I love you, she said, but sometimes it's Slapex Bakuna to understand what you're saying. Killian rubbed his eyes. Whether he was just tired or exhausted by his comms operator's lack of self-awareness, Quentin couldn't tell. Good job, crew, Killian said. This means we can get out of here in a hurry if we need to. But first, we have a mission to complete. The Oleron is the biggest ship in the landing shaft, by far, and it's clearly not military. Quentin, could that alert Greedock? If he sees it, could he smell the threat and leave before he comes in? Greedock was smart. Brilliant but he also liked to see things through. He'd never been to the borehole before. He wouldn't know one ship from another, at least not enough to make him bail out and run, especially when he still needed the Carcelero to get cleanly away from Kretorakian territory. I'm more worried about Sakakorn, Quentin said. As cool and confident as she is, I promise you she will be stressed out after being with a killer like Greedock for a couple of days. When his yacht comes in, if she happens to be in a position where she can see the shaft and the Oleron isn't there, that could scare her. Greedock would pick up on that. Leave your ship where it is. Killian looked at each of his crew in turn. Aya nodded. The teddy bear's arms and legs jostled when Schmeck Zan nodded. 
Beans made a noise that could have been a grunt of approval or a fart. Quentin wasn't sure which. We'll leave the Ulrin where it is, Killian said. A grunt of approval, apparently. Let's recap the plan, Killian said. Assuming Greedock is actually dumb enough to fall for this, he'll be here in two days. When he arrives, we need to separate Dr. Sackacorn from him and his guards so they don't lash out against her once the riot control gas starts flowing. Aya's hands caressed the skins. Data readouts appeared in the air above them. Yeah, about that, she said. We drained the borehole's tanks when I made the rioters go sleepy time. Killian glared at her. You used all of it? You told me to let everyone out of their cells? That's a lot of rioters. It's not like any of us thought we'd stay here after getting Quentin out, you echo? Quentin's stomach churned, almost as bad as it did during punch-in or punch-out. Just because Killian's crew was taking this all in stride didn't mean they weren't aware of the risks they faced when Greedock and his guards arrived. Among those guards, without a doubt, would be Virak the Mean. We'll figure out another way then. Killian said. Let's go over what we do know. Sakagorn told me a fighter always comes out to escort the Carcelero in. She may have told Greedock the same thing. We want to make everything look as normal as possible. Beans, can you modify a Schmeck so you can use it to fly one of the fighters docked in the shaft? The male Sklorno shook briefly like a wet dog. No can do, Skipper. I would need to make a flying mech that can move like a Kretorakian or Harada operate inside the control sphere. That would take about a week. Killian cursed under his breath. We need that fighter escort, he said. What if you were in the fighter? Could you hack the controls enough to operate it yourself? The Sklorno stretched in his little chair. Yeah, I can't, he said. Rudimentary controls only. If there's any kind of a dogfight, I'll lose. Killian glanced at Quentin. You said you think Greedock will come here in his yacht. Is it armed? The little ruler, Quentin said. I've never been on it. I don't know if it's armed, but knowing Greedock, it probably is. Killian nodded as if he'd expected that answer. Then we need to make sure that ship is neutralized, he said. Beans, you'll have to stay in the fighter so the yacht pilot doesn't try anything. All right, back to Greedock and his guards. We have no knockout gas. Options? Kill the guards, Bean said. If we don't, we're asking for trouble. The image of Virak gunned down. It didn't sit right. Quentin and Virak had never gotten along, but the warrior was a kraken, a teammate. We're not killing unless we have to, Killian said. Other ideas, people. Come on, think. Zan's stuffed animal face twitched. This is a prison, she said. With uniforms, possibly ride armor, Skipper and Aya could pass as guards. When Greedock arrives, tell him that his team cannot bring weapons into the facility. Then you will have them at gunpoint. Put them in restraints. Put them in a cell. Virak's speed, his ferocity, even getting close to him, posed a risk. And what other guards might Greedock have with him? Loyal underlings, willing to risk their lives to do whatever the leader said. There's no way his bodyguards will let you put restraints on them, Quentin said. Greedock will not allow himself to be taken so easily. He'll sacrifice his own people at the drop of a hat. This had the makings of a messy situation, one where Killian's people could get hurt. Killian stood. We're not going to ask their permission. 
I think I have a way to get them to walk right into a cell. If we move fast, we can lock them in before they fully realize what's happening. Aya, Zan's right. You and I can pass as guards. Are you up for it? It's going to be dangerous, and you can't use your tough luck gun. Quentin looked from Killian to Aya. Tough luck gun? It's a non-lethal rifle, she said. Fire solid rubber balls. Why can't I use it, Skipper? You know how I feel about hurting sentience. I know, Killian said. But if we're going to pass for guards, we need to use guard weapons. The tough luck gun looks like a toy. It will catch their attention and create doubt in our disguises. And I can't emphasize this enough. With Greedox goons, if we need to fire on them, we need to put them down. If we shoot, we shoot to kill. Understand? I paused, considering Killian's words. Quentin sensed her trepidation. She was worried about what the rest of the crew might think of her answer. I'll do it, she said. But come on, Skipper, I'm tiny. If there are helmets with face shields, couldn't you and Junior pose as guards? Isn't that more realistic? With dread in his eyes, Killian looked at Quentin. For my idea to work, the older man said, I'm afraid Quentin has another role to play. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.